This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. To heal is to restore a person to spiritual wholeness. Valeria Tellez interviews a Vinoam learner, the author of The New Cancer Paradigm, Mobilizing the Mind to Heal the Body. A Vinoam learner is a cancer and trauma recovery specialist, TEDx speaker, and an author. His innovative approach to cancer wellness and recovery highlights the multidimensional nature of our being and the need to treat illness not only on the level of the body, but also on the level of mind. He offers patients and survivors seeking to play a more active role in their care, a practical, meaningful, and effective path to do so through his practice and coaching programs. This path allows participants to engage and mobilize the innate creative power of their mind to revive their body's innate immune response, become more resilient, and cultivate a mindset for healing and quality of life. Avinoam believes that for true and lasting recovery, we must transcend the mechanistic reductionist review of disease and recognize that illness is a whole person event. Illness highlights our inherent need to evolve on all levels. It propels us to look deep within and live more authentically. After earning his degree in holistic health from the Ridman International College for Complementary Alternative Medicine in Israel in 2000, he was certified by the National Guild of Hypnotists, NGH, as well as the National Federation of Neurolinguistic Programming, NLP, here in the U.S. Meet Avinoam at avinoamlearner.com. Here is the interview with Avinoam Learner. In your own words, who is a Vinoam learner? So a Vinoam learner is um, someone who's very passionate about um, the inner working of the human mind uh, as it relates to wellness in general, more specifically to cancer, cancer wellness, cancer recovery, to trauma in general. And, uh, you know, I'll be the first to say that uh, we all do what we need the most. And so we all arrive at uh, the work we do from different directions, but uh, that's what calls me um, the most. So 
I work on the deep end of the mind, if, if that makes sense. And uh, for the most part, um, over the past 20 years, I've been helping people facing cancer, uh, mainly in the cancer community. So people facing cancer, whether they were in treatment or in survivorship already, uh, help them strengthen their body's innate capacity to defend against and recover from cancer. And uh, as an offshoot of that, uh, working with a lot of people uh, who are living with significant trauma, who wish to prevent it from taking hold of their body in the form of illness, for example, uh, such as cancer or addiction. And I can say more about any of those. What is healing to you? So from my perspective, um, and you go right to the, to the point of it, which is fantastic. Uh, from my perspective, illness is a call for us to take action. Illness um, uh, highlights the necessity and inevitability, if you will, uh, of an existential shift that we all have to go through in order to live more authentically, uh, more in tune with ourselves and more aligned with our true core values. And we don't really do that unless something malfunction. And what I mean is that, uh, you, you know, when was the last time you thought about your mm, digestive system or, or, or liver or any other organ, even your shoulders? We don't really necessarily pay attention to ourselves and our body as such unless it malfunctions, unless there is pain. And when there is pain, it essentially, uh, our bodies communicating, the mind is calling for us to pay attention, um, utilizing the body as its canvas. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense though. Why do we do that? Why do we tend not to pay attention to the body? So I, you know, I live, I live in practice in Boston, Massachusetts, and as such, I use a lot of baseball analogy. Uh, my apologies in advance, but I tell people, you know, that we grow up um, in a way looking at a baseball game through a hole in the fence and we only see part of the field part of the game and and what's on the right hand side and on the left hand side that we don't see our mind will make up the story of what may have happened so that we can make sense of the game so we've all grown up this way um our parents might have had the best intentions and uh, the people around us might have supported us to the best of their ability but because as kids our mental and emotional faculties are not fully developed. We don't tend to see things as they truly are. We see them, we perceive them in a certain limited way. And because of the way that the mind works, first impression is the lasting impression. So we get ideas about who we are, about the world, and how this world functions with us in it. Many of these presumptions or conclusions uh, are just false right. and um, we, we, we can't um, we need to update our understanding uh, of ourselves our belief systems and in doing so um, uh, hence the healing process the healing journey so in your book you mentioned um, the difference between recovery and healing talk to me for a moment about that if you know well, recovery, um, uh, recovery has a lot of physical connotations to it, but it's really recovering the self, right? It's really recovering, uh, uh, getting clarity, becoming very clear at what we are, who we really are. Right. 
And again, because most of us have never really paid attention, um, we all hold a lot of different ideas about ourselves that came from other people. Right. And so we have a distorted view. Recovery for me suggests that we are recovering the different parts that we've disowned over the years. And um, we all have uh, a good number of those. Every time somebody scolded us, uh, we learned that certain behavior, certain something about us was wrong or bad, caused people discomfort, pain. And so we disown these parts. And the whole field of psychology called shadow work, um, right. Jungian psychology, that uh, that's where it comes from. So recovery is about recovering those um, parts of ourselves into a coherent, um, cohesive body, so to speak. Right. Um, and then healing is really more of the journey um, of how we can do that. And uh, they're not necessarily separate. They're just different two sides of the, of the same coin, if you will. You also mentioned the difference between illness and disease. Correct, because illness is, um, <clears throat> excuse me, Ill illness is a more of a holistic definition. You know, we, I, I mentioned I work a lot with cancer in the cancer community. And uh, it's easy to understand that cancer is more than just a physical event, right? I mean, yes, obviously it affects the physical body, but it also affects us mentally and emotionally, sometimes even spiritually. And so illness, from my perspective, is a whole person event, where, whereas disease is more of the clinical determination of local areas within the body, particular organs that are failing. So disease is more of a clinical definition uh, so that it can fit within the modern medicine, conventional medicine kind of uh, paradigm and, and as such be treated, which is important because uh, we have to acknowledge that uh, we're getting better and better at treating the physical body. Yeah. But it's also important to understand that treating the physical body alone doesn't solve the problem. It only means that we're getting better at managing the disease, not healing the illness, certainly not preventing mm. the illness. And um, I think it's important to understand that I think people will relate to that, that by treating only the physical body, uh, we only solve a part of the healing equation, which means we only get partial results, hence recurrences. And from my perspective, it is because we essentially disconnect through the medical format we all, uh, medical treatment, which essentially relates to the physical body. The, the outcome of that is that we, we disconnect the cancer patient from the cancer as if to say that this illness has nothing to do with you. Of course, it has a lot to do with the person within this physical body, and there's a lot that this person can do. So uh, those two definitions relate to either the medical model where disease is an organ uh, local failure within the body right. where illness is a more broad whole person um, view of uh, the, the experience of symptomology so you speak of the component of spirituality or the spiritual side of the human being in your book, you also mentioned the definition of the verb to heal, one of which is to heal is to restore a person to a spiritual wholeness. So my question is, what is the spiritual component? Is that relates to the mind? Would the mind be the spirit? 
or something different? So, so important. So from my perspective, it's not about um, the religious side of spirituality, yeah. but rather uh, the more secular understanding of spirituality. Yeah. And yes, it relates to the mind and more specifically to the meaning of life as such. Mm -hmm. um, many of us are in an existential crisis because we've kind of lost our connection to that uh, part of ourselves that is whole, that is healthy, that is healed. Yeah. And as such, um, you know, you can draw from the uh, religious texts, but I think it's really not about a particular um, one religion or another. It's more about connecting to that part of us within us that is already healthy, whole, and healed, and returning into the awareness of that within us will bring about the healing uh, in such uh, respect that you can say that in a way, um, illness or disease as such is the act of separating from that part of ourselves. Um, and it's important not to confuse that. I'm not a religious person, I'm a very spiritual person. And um, yeah, the mind. The mind is my church or synagogue or whatever you want to call it. So how is it different for you, Vinam? What is the difference really between being spiritual or spirituality and religion? Because it, we're all essentially uh, spiritual, well, we're spiritual beings. Um, I think the um, human uh, application of religion uh, with its own interpretations and agendas and politics, I think it taint, um, it, it, it deemed the inner life that is flowing, uh, uh, ever flowing through us. And so I think when we take ownership and responsibility for our own experience, we um, elevate ourselves from the, uh, um, uh, you know, from the ground sort of to that spiritual realm. And uh, it's our own responsibility. No one can do it for us. It doesn't mean that faith is bad. That's not what I'm saying at all. Um, and in fact, if you, uh, if you are completely immersed in your uh, religious practice and it, it uh, radiates with the purity for you, then that's a really good thing. But for the most part, um, like any um, kind of a community or organization, there's dynamics, there's politics, there's all kind of elements that take away from your sovereignty and your autonomy. And I think it's uh, really important to embrace the fact that uh, we, we already have within us the many tools and the many uh, skills and capacities um, that uh, we need uh, to put to work. In fact, I will say that it's the same capacity. I mean, the, the very point is to really help people uh, tap into this already existing innate capacity that the body has, the same capacity that the body utilized to heal certain uh, scrapes and wounds and cuts and even mend broken bones. That capacity uh, does not depend on someone else outside of us. And there's a certain way to tap back into it, to revive that capacity, enhance its ability, and um, in, in, in an attempt to um, um, kind of uh, promote a better outcome to our experience. And I think we can all do that. It's just a matter of whether we 
are willing to uh, take that kind of responsibility and ownership. So when it comes to healing, do you believe in such a thing as being healed as a destination or we are constantly healing at some level? We are constantly healing. Look, the work that I do specifically, which is goal-oriented, which is comprehensive, uh, which is deep and intensive in a way, uh, we go very deep down the rabbit hole, if uh, you call it as such, um, has tremendous benefits, but it does not exclude you from life's trials and turbulence. In other words, just because we're doing certain kind of work doesn't mean that we are not um, human anymore in any sort of way that we're not allowed to be fragile. And uh, the human experience is a fragile experience. And what we want to constantly do is um, strengthen the person that we are from within. As such, healing is not a destination. Healing is a journey. And um, uh, it's the very reason why I think when the medical um, establishment is uh, kind of promoting this word cure, I think it's a uh, it's, it's, it's in a way, you know, I was mostly, um, I worked here in Boston at the Dana Farber Cancer Institute, which is a really prestigious uh, hospital for a uh, um, moment in time uh, a few years back. And uh, I remember a few discussions with some of the oncologists, and they said, well, isn't that false hope, right? Uh, you're promoting false hope. And my answer was very simply that false hope can only exist when you provide false guarantee. Mm, yeah. In other words, I, I think it's important to turn the table on that statement for them because I think when you use the word cure, uh, it, it, it suggests a certain level of, of ignorance. I don't think we, uh, we ever stop becoming, and as such, uh, there are forces around us, within us, all the time that work to decay the body. And, uh, right. you know, there's disease agents, carcinogenics, and we never stop defending. Right? That's what the immune system is all about. It's been yeah. doing this since the beginning of time. Right. So I wonder if it's possible to heal at that level of the mind, but not at the physical level. Unfortunately, yes. Uh, mainly because um, we, we, well, in other words, we're not always successful at tipping the scale from um, from illness into health. We're not, we're, we're not always successful right. for a variety of, of, of reasons, uh, but um, doing this kind of work is, uh, has tremendous power and reviving um, these, these capacities, strengthening the body's resolve to heal and our own will to live uh, has shown to have incredible benefits, many, many different benefits. And so um, if someone uh, comes to see me when um, it's, it's kind of late in the game, uh, right. so to speak, right. uh, w w yes, we have significant challenges, but it doesn't mean that all is lost. Uh, it just means that we have so much more work to do and we get it done to whatever extent. We shoot for the stars and we take what we get because we understand um, very humbly that um, that there's a lot that we don't know, right. and um, we approach it in, in that way. Uh, there's no no guarantees in life, right? Other than yeah. taxes, perhaps, and <laughs> yeah. such. Yeah. True. And that makes me think about the idea of inner peace, that we can achieve that peace within where 
it doesn't matter what happens really to the body. We are in total acceptance. I've seen that myself in some human beings, and that's remarkable. And that might be what we call freedom. So my question to you is, what is freedom to you? It's a, it's a wonderful question because ultimately that's the destination. Uh, that's, that's where I hope people will aim for. And for me specifically, what I find, uh, because the, the very methodology that I developed and uh, um, work with cancer patients and people with trauma, the very methodology is designed to address the root cause of their limitation. If it's the root cause of cancer, uh, you know, we look at cancer, yes, uh, there are so many physical components um, that, that um, will promote kind of vulnerability within the body. But from my perspective, um, the mind is the blueprint. Um, if we are able to uh, truly resolve these uh, conflicts, inner conflicts, these mental and psychological patterns that we know through research, uh, suppress and impair the functioning of our immune system. If we can undo them, then we resolve the conflict and the outcome of that is freedom. So for me, uh, the, the very purpose of doing this kind of work is to really set people free. Mm. Uh, a lot of people describe it as if uh, they're growing wing at the end of the, uh -huh. uh, the, the work, as, as they, they feel lighter, they can fly, they can, they're not burdened by the uh, trauma of it, by the fear of it, by the stress of it, by the anxiety of it. Right. Medical treatment is uh, very demanding emotionally and mentally, right. and we want to be uh, resilient. We want to have uh, the capacity to meet these embedded challenges uh, within the recovery journey. We want to be able to meet them in the right, uh, with the right state of mind, because we know again through research that whenever you enter a procedure in the right state of mind, there are a few complications. There are, uh, it's, it usually uh, translates into shorter hospital stay, uh, fewer side effects and so forth. So there's tremendous benefits to doing that. And every, by the way, every uh, doctor um, will attest to that. They will be the first to tell you that, yes, your state of mind, your attitude, uh, yeah, it can impact. They wouldn't go much further than just, uh, you know, if you're not stressed, then it's good, but uh, they can actually um, agree to the fact um, that the mind and body are an intimate or integrated system. Uh, in fact, you can't really hurt your pinky toe without having an emotional reaction to it. And vice versa, it's true as well. Uh, you, you can't really have a physical um, or an emotional injury without feeling it in your body. So I think it's important to understand that. What do you think the purpose of the human experience is? Oh, well, that's that's uh, above my pay grade, but I will tell you that my my perspective, uh, it's all about growth, yeah. and um, uh, the spirit is uh, the the soul, the spirit, whatever you want to call it. The, the self is using this physical body as a learning tool through which we accumulate uh, experiences, which are translated into wisdom, and uh, I think ultimately um, reflect itself. Uh, in a state of freedom, as you said. And I think you uh, you can see people, very few, uh, but there are few that, uh, you know, you look at them and uh, they have this uh, kind of a raised uh, lip, uh, sort of a smile that um, makes you wonder, 
Um, oh, right. They seem light. They seem uh-huh. at ease. They seem um, just free. And right. um, I think the purpose is growth. I mean, we can talk about energetics and quantum physics and all of that, but I think that's a different conversation altogether. <laughs> yeah. uh, yes, growth uh, and and um, and freedom ultimately. So you wrote the book, The New Cancer Paradigm, Mobilizing the Mind to Heal the Body. Two questions. How did you become a writer? And what was the inspiration and intention of writing this book? Oh, well, look, um, I wouldn't say that I'm a writer. I had a good amount of help. I, you know, English is not my first language. I'm originally from Israel. And um, um I just wrote and wrote and wrote a lot of uh, little pieces of my own wisdom, and and uh, and then one of my clients says, "So why don't you put them in in a book?" And it never dawned on me, but uh, I got the right support to to do that, and I was very um, very happy with uh, with the results, and and you know. Uh, I, it's all about education for me. Uh, we chatted a little bit before uh, we started recording. It's it's really about helping people understand that uh, there's more to us than just the flesh. Uh, we're multidimensional beings, and um, and and uh, it, it, that's where freedom lies to me. Because if we're just, I mean, if if it's just the way it is, if what we see is all there is. Um, I think we're missing the point altogether. The true riches, the true wealth uh, of a person is um, is within. And again, it relates to the recovery and the healing journey that we talked about earlier. Talk to me about immersive healing. What is it, Avinomar? Ah, so that's a name that I gave this methodology. You know, everybody has a name and uh, everything needs a name because people need to relate to it, but it really doesn't mean much to anyone else. It relates to, it speaks to um, the difference between the kind of work that I do and most therapies out there. And by that, I mean that, for example, when you talk about psychotherapy, a lot of people that are going through a health crisis, they will usually have a counselor or a social worker or uh, a therapist of sort. Um, There's a fundamental difference between what I do and psychotherapy, for example, because I think most people are familiar with that. In psychotherapy, you sit in two places uh, in a way. You're both the uh, observer because you talk about your experience and and, and you're also the experiencer, the one who's feeling and and going through uh, the motion of it. Uh, In my work, because we utilize specific uh, tools such as hypnotherapy or clinical hypnotherapy, you become completely immersed in your own story. In other words, you focus inward to the degree that back then and there, whatever happened throughout your life, back then and there feels as if it's right here and right now. And this bridge between the past and the present, the level of authenticity that it produces uh, that's the that's that's the bridge for transformation. So the level of authenticity that stems from being immersed in a singular sort of way, completely immersed in your experience, as if you're right there and there, and right there and there is right here and now. Uh, that level of authenticity builds a bridge 
that allow for the transformation to happen. It's very different from any other kind of approach uh, to the best of my knowledge. And I will also add that the level of immersion relates to the format of the work. In other words, I ask people to keep in mind um, a program of 15 hours where the first seven and a half hours are condensed into what I call the intensive day, a breakthrough day, if you will. And I work with one person for seven and a half straight hours. It sounds like a lot. We do go very deep down the rabbit hole, it's true, but you become completely immersed. You have the time to dive in in such a way that doesn't exist anywhere else. If you think of the going to therapies, the 50 clinical mini format, you know, 20 minutes to sit down, 20 minutes to talk about the pain, and all of a sudden time is up and the pain is out here. And what am I going to do with it? I need to tuck it in. And well, sorry, time is up. So it doesn't work like that for me. I uh, find the therapeutic model uh, not conducive to um, uh, to what it is that we're trying to uh, achieve. And so we work a little different. That's where the level of immersion comes from. That's where immersive healing uh, the term. Uh, yeah. I wonder why so many of us are afraid of hypnotherapy, including myself. <laughs> because of all the stigma that around uh, and, and the misconceptions, right? There's a lot yeah, of yeah. misconceptions, mainly because we've kind of gone to schools where there were kind of hypnotic shows and yeah. people made fun of themselves and, and as such. Hollywood loves to portray hypnosis in a certain kind of way yeah. that is uh, that has some um, uh, negative association or connotations of control. Yeah. But the truth of the matter is none of it is true. The kids on the stage at school, uh, you know, there's a certain way to select the people that you want on stage and you kind of weed them out and build this... Um, build this uh, uh, willingness that they have to participate. So it, it's it's an art more than a science. And then uh, Hollywood just get it completely wrong. In fact, um, we all go in and out of that state we call hypnosis each and every day. You know, when you drive from point A to point B and uh, your mind is kind of busy processing something and then you're already there and you say, oh, uh, so quickly, right? So that the mind was immersed. In other words, the, the conscious mind was busy and the subconscious mind took over. That's exactly what hypnosis is. When you watch a great movie and time flies by, it's, it's exactly that state. And there's a lot of them. There's some funny ones, you know. Uh, you know, when you open the fridge and you look for the ketchup bottle and you, it's right in front, but you can't see it. It's, right? it's just, it's another state. So there's a lot of different examples of Everyday hypnosis, we just have to uh, redefine or kind of refine our understanding of what that is. And you really don't relinquish any control. In fact, you're more in control than you've ever been because you're immersed um, into a singular experience again. And the freedom that stems from that, it's actually a perfect state to learn. It's a perfect state to uh, to process information, to access uh, uh, our intellectual powers. Right. Uh, but I think a lot of people struggle with the misconceptions. Yeah. And, and a lot of people struggle with control, right? Letting go of control. Oh, yes. That's one of the biggest challenges yeah, for all of us, right? So have you had the experience of yourself going through hypnotherapy? Uh, yes. Yes. Although not the this kind of format, because I, right. I, I guess I'm the only 
person who, uh, the only practitioner who does it this way, it requires a certain uh, level of comfort in the unknown, um, working within the realm of the unknown. My process is very grounded, very structured. I'm very methodical. It has a very defined beginning, middle, and end, and very clear therapeutic intersections we have to cross one successfully before we move on to the next. So there's no mysticism here, but in between these therapeutic intersections, uh, you know, it's it's a whole person there and you have to be comfortable uh, as a practitioner in your own skill uh, to be able to navigate this uh, unknown right. and um, to have the unshaken certainty that I can lead you there. In fact, I'm there with you, but I'm leading you there. You know, we're walking that path this inner path, shoulder to shoulder, and I just have, I happen to have the unshaken certainty that um, I can certainly get you to where we want to go or where we're heading, um, get the results that we aim for. Because, um, well, after 20 years, I'm, there's a very few things that I haven't seen, and, and um, I think experience is uh, of tremendous value here. I guess the follow-up question is on results. What is the percentage that you have seen with the, your treatment opposed to conventional treatment for cancer? Sure. So it's not one or the other. It's important to say that it's not one or the other. Uh, okay. This kind of work uh, is often most effective in conjunction with medical treatment. Okay. Uh, this is not an alternative to medical treatment. I think uh, in this day and age, when modern medicine is so advanced and can um, make such a powerful difference and a lot more people do survive their cancer today than in any other time in history, I think it's important to uh, kind of zoom out and look at the scientist and the healer, um, uh, not as polar opposites, but actually, uh, as again, as, as two people working together. So um, oftentimes, uh, I think all the time, I will have people that uh, um, my clients tend to kind of integrate my work into their medical treatment because they recognize that if they um, regain their uh, resilience, mental and emotional resilience, if they are, if they cultivate this mindset that is more conducive to recovery, right. it impacts the efficacy of treatment. Right. In other words, it, it impacts the outcome. So it's not about percentage. Um, I can tell you that um, people who do this work have a better uh, overall outcome. But again, uh, you know, I think it's important to uh, state out loud very clearly, there's no illusions here. Right. Um, Illness, specifically illness such as cancer, is a very complex thing. And um, right. we have to kind of utilize all the tools that we have. I agree. And um, uh, we don't, again, we don't, we're not always successful at tipping the point from illness to health, but uh, we're always successful at bringing the person uh, to a place where they're better positioned to recover. Absolutely. Yeah, that really resonates with me. The idea of integrating uh, what is available, uh, conventional with alternative medicine, because I do consider what you do a medicine. 
Well, it's it's more it's more related to um, conventional medicine simply because of the amount of research and you know that big word psychoneuroimmunology is a field of scientific study that is with us since the early 70s from the University of Rochester in New York. So the my approach is a kind of immunotherapeutic approach. It's grounded in this scientific study of psychoneuroimmunology. And as such, I wouldn't, you know, it's it's different from what people call alternative medicine, mainly because of the amount of data that uh, that exists. Talk to me for a moment, Noam, about hope. I think you mentioned hope and false hope. I think you mentioned earlier, right? Yes, yes, yes. And but but it's important to understand that hope is a very powerful force in our lives. Yeah. Um, you know, if you look at the animal world, um, if you take a scorpion and you uh, kind of create a ring of fire around them and they don't have a way out, they will kind of uh, kill themselves, right? I mean, it's a, it's just what yeah, lack of hope can do to us. And uh, if you read the stories from uh, um, uh, war veterans, uh, prisoners of war and, and, and others that have been in dire situations. Hope is a powerful component and it's important that it will be reasonable hope, that it's grounded. Um, but again, I think the idea that the body has the innate capacity is, not, is now uh, a scientific fact, so it's, it's not out there. Uh, but it's important to put things in the right context. It's important to, um, um, while you hold and and, and uh, kind of breathe more life into your sense of hope, it's important that it won't deter you from doing the work that you need to do, be it through modern medicine or through uh, integrated medicine as such. What is about the subconscious mind that we don't know? Oh. So much. <laughs> Too well, much, right? You know, uh, when people think of the human mind, uh, it's kind of odd to think of it because it's not a necessarily it's not the brain right it's not the physical three pound gray matter organ in our yeah. skull the mind is the non-physical part of who we are and it's hard to uh, kind of uh, understand that because it's kind of vague so what um, um, people like uh, Zygmunt Freud the, the famous uh, psychoanalyst has done he created that visual of an iceberg with a little tip above the water but the grave mass is beneath the water, right? And um, uh, there were several attempts to describe that. I, I use I use a simple analogy of a bank where, you know, you have the vault where all the gold is, and then you have a guard that's sent in front of the vault. And, uh, you know, his job is to only allow the people with the right credentials to go in. Uh, why? Because, um, in other words, it's a security system. And, it, and we need a security system because as powerful as the subconscious mind is, it's a goal-oriented, uh, it's a goal-achieving uh, agency. And as a goal-achieving agency, it's, it's literal. It doesn't, it cannot judge and reason. That's what the guard is doing. Uh, the vault, if you come in, you can take the gold, but the guard will check your credentials. And uh, we need this kind of security system because otherwise we would live uh, in the Tower of Babylon, right? If, if you're in the vault and you say, well, you uh, think this way and that way, 
if the mind is, the subconscious mind is literal, it will not argue. It will just say, okay, all right, fine. And, and so the subconscious mind is that part of our mind, more pertaining to the work that I do, is the part of our mind that governs a lot of our different bodily functions. We don't really think about it this way, but think about your digestion. We don't think about digesting food. We don't think about our body temperature. We don't think about our heart beating. This is all happening automatically. We don't also think about uh, our immune system. So from my perspective, the work that I do with cancer, specifically this field of uh, psychoneuroimmunology, it, it all relates to um, the fact that the subconscious mind influences play a role in um, and governing, even if in a partial sort of way, the functioning of our immune system. And of course, uh, any doctor will tell you that when you're stressed, you know, your immune system is down. Um, but stress, it's an interesting thing. The term stress can be kind of misleading because stress means so much more than just uh, feeling overwhelmed, right? Because we have just too much to do. Stress refers to a wide range of uh, experiences, states of mind like rage, fear, more specifically to psychoneuroimmunology, helplessness and hopelessness, which are very common for people facing cancer, but also rage and grief and guilt and shame, all these toxic uh, states of mind, they, they impact us one way or the other. And so um, that's why I think the subconscious mind is where we want to work if we want to bring about, um, enhance, improve the functioning of our biological systems, including the immune function. Yeah, it really makes sense to me <laughs> going there. This is uh, something that anyone can do, any stages, any kind of traumas or any uh, kind of cancer or any, all stages, would you say? Correct. Because because it's not about the symptomology. The expression of the, uh, these patterns, these mental and psychological patterns, which we have through research suppress immune function, I call them uh, in a general term, and it's in the book, The New Cancer Paradigm, I call them self-mutilation protocols. It's a horrible name. We all have them though. Um, so the expression of the self-mutilation protocols is less of an interest to me. It can be illness, it can be risky behavior, it can be addiction, it can be a variety of expressions. What I'm interested in is the root cause. You know, if you have a pebble in your shoe and your whole posture is uh, distorted, and as such you have headache and backache and uh, other aches, you know, you can try and, and relate to the aches, but I will say, why don't we just remove the pebble and, and let the body uh, be restored to its uh, right, to its, its right posture. And, and that's essentially, in a nutshell, what I do. I, I want to say that, you know, another analogy that I use is of, um, uh, of, of driving cars, because a lot of people can understand. From my perspective, um, psychotherapy, uh, which is important in and of itself. But in the case of illness, uh, I liken psychotherapy to cleaning the windshields, right? Wiping the windshield clean so that I can see the road better, so that I can better prepare for the challenges ahead. But when your engine is leaking, wiping your windshield clean uh, 
it's, it's futile. You actually need to pull to the side of the road, you need to lift the hood, and you need to look beneath the surface to find the faulty component, the leak, replace it, and then you can drive again. Right. As you said, you go deeper into the human, let's say, components, different parts of us to find the cause of the physical illness, the manifestation, the physical manifestation of that. Yes, and to that I will say the cause or the root cause as the mind perceives it. So it's really not about a philosophical discussion whether the root cause of illness is mental, emotional, spiritual, or physical. I'm not getting into that debate. Is the truth as your mind perceives it? That's all we care about because the perception that is there, that is fueling uh, uh, the distorted perception, the erroneous belief, that's the pebble in your shoe. And I hope this uh, message gets through because that's the ultimate truth and that's what we're after. And when we are changing the meaning of past events, beliefs, perceptions, we kind of apply um, a new and updated understanding of the meaning, a new definition of the meaning of those events, perceptions, and beliefs. We override the perceived with the truth, and thus restoring um, harmony, order, health, ultimately. Yeah. I love that. I love the whole idea. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I wish I could try that, but I don't have any illnesses, not at this point. That's a really good thing. Yeah, but <laughs> you never know, right? Well, you'll be surprised that a lot of people, um, as I mentioned, that live with significant challenges, but want to prevent them from taking hold in their body. Mm. Um, that's a good route as well, but never mind. That's a wonderful suggestion. It's all about prevention. I mean, Part of my work is wellness related, yes, so symptoms management. Part of my work is about recovery, right? So uh, reviving the functioning of the immune system. And a big part of my work is all about prevention because when we address the deep-seated subconscious patterns that we know through research impact us in a certain way um, that render the body vulnerable to begin with, when we address those deep-seated subconscious patterns, we essentially help prevent illness from uh, becoming resurfacing. And, and that's, um, that's a very noble goal. Do you offer online services? Um, I do to some extent. Um, the seven and a half hours that I mentioned, um, intensive day, that does not uh, translate into an online service. Uh, there has to be a level of connectivity and connection that is that that in order for this to work, um, and so uh, that is not necessarily done online, but a lot of other services, yes, definitely symptoms management all the time, um, a little bit of trauma uh, work as well, um, but it really depends what a person needs, right? So that's great to know. I'll have that information on your podcast profile. So we are almost at the end. I do have a few ending questions for you. But before that, would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book? Moving on. Oh, no, I will. It will be out of context. I am <laughs> happy for people to uh, get the book and just um, read it with an open mind because um, the human experience, our experience, 
um, well, we, we, we can't avoid uh, updating our operating system, you know, just like our all our electronic equipment needs to be updated every now and then. We too, as a spiritual being, as a, a person with a certain meaning, certain, we also need to update our um, mental paradigms and, and, and operating systems. And um, there's different ways to do that. I just hope that people take action before um, they have to. Most people will yeah. wait until there's a crisis moment. It's not the best approach. True. No, I'm absolutely with you on that. Prevention is really, really important. And I love what he said about everything needs an update and the electronic device and, and so our belief systems, right? The things we believe in. I agree. Mainly, mainly with regard to ourselves, to our self-value and worth. Mm. That's again, a whole different conversation. So two more questions, two ending questions. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything in a different way? Mm, no. <laughs> the simple question is now I've asked myself these, these uh, interesting questions for a long time. If I had all the money in the world, would I change what I do? Absolutely not. If I knew I'm, I'm going to die, this is the best way to serve and, and, and be true to myself. And the last question is, what are three things about life you know for sure as of this moment? Oh, uh, that we matter, that we have a lot to do with the way um, that we are, that, with our experience, and um, that we are absolutely worth it. Mm. We are worthy and worthwhile by the sheer fact that we, we are here in this world. We are worthy and worthwhile. Yes. Thank you so much, Avinoam, for your beautiful wisdom, your presence, the work you do, the purpose. Thank you. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Sure. So my website, uh, hopefully we can put that information. My name is Avinoam Leonel, but as you uh, noted for yourself, it's not an ordinary name. So people are not sure how to pronounce it, but, or, or even how to write it down. But if you look for Avinoam Leonel, um, through any of the search engines, you are bound to find me. And um, um, my website is the main resource. I'm also on Facebook, even on TikTok. Oh, <laughs> <Believe it or laughs> not. good. Uh, yeah, all the, all the regular places, uh, the regular suspects, right? The usual suspects, um, all the social media outlets, and um, certainly my website is the main source. Wonderful. You now have the link on your podcast profile. Thank you so much again, and we'll talk soon. Appreciate it. Thank you. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Avinoam Learner and his work, please visit avinoamlearner.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now. Thank you.